Live Foreign Correspondent. Yes, uh, Rob Watson uh, joins us. Rob, Rob's the BBC's political reporter, but I think at the moment he's actually on a break and has gone trout fishing. I don't know whether we've caught him bankside or not. Uh, Rob, hi. <laughs> Hi, Phil. Also, I've got to compliment you on your music as well. I love the Eagles. So yeah. going from the Eagles to British politics is the sublime to the ridiculous. But you're <laughs> absolutely right. I haven't caught a fish yet, but um, we fishermen live in hope, right? Well, as I'm the son of a trout fisherman who grew up oh, in wow. Tassie, which is a great trout fishing place in Australia. And I must say, what I, the main thing I learned from him after years of flogging the water was that trout fishing was certainly not about catching fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit. It's a bit of both. I mean, it takes you to beautiful places, and now that I know there's trout fishing in uh, in Tasmania, I'm adding that to my bucket list. Uh-huh. But it is also about catching them. Yeah, well, not in my experience, but however, <laughs> well, you're certainly right. right. You, you go to some beautiful places, and that I think was the joy of it all. Anyway, back to matters political in the UK. Big news over the past day or so: a surprise announcement. Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has resigned after eight years in the job. She's told a press conference at Butte House, her official residence in Edinburgh, that in recent months she's lost energy and desire to remain as First Minister. If this was just a question of my ability or my resilience to get through the latest period of pressure, I wouldn't be standing here today. But it's not. This decision comes from a deeper and longer term assessment. I know it might seem sudden, But I have been wrestling with it, albeit with oscillating levels of intensity for some weeks. Essentially, I've been trying to answer two questions. Is carrying on right for me? And more importantly, is me carrying on right for the country, for my party and for the independence cause I have devoted my life to? Yes, Nicola Sturgeon, the uh, you, the Scotland First Minister, she's regarded, isn't she, Rob, as very capable. I mean, many observers would would probably rate her as one of the most capable UK politicians there is. Was it? I mean, it surprised many people. Did it surprise you that she's gone? It certainly did. And you're right, she would be regarded, I think, as probably one of the most competent and compelling and successful politicians in Britain. I I mean, incredibly successful, apart from one thing, which is the one thing uh, that she really wanted, uh, and that was independence. Uh, And I guess that will be the lasting disappointment. And, And I suspect that one of the reasons she's going is that she doesn't, despite what she said, see that as being an imminent. And one other thing I'd add, Phil, I mean, by and large, you know, whenever these politicians tell you, oh, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, I'm a bit knackered, I think I need to spend more time on my personal life. Do you know what? I think she genuinely means it. I mean, I think I think when she said she was, you know, she, she didn't use the word knackered, I don't think, but, you know, I, I think she was telling the truth. She'd been in politics for about the last 20 years, first minister for eight, and I think she's just had enough. Yeah, you're right. The uh, The movement for Scottish independence, uh, and she's been a very able leader of that and and has garnered, you know, huge support in Scotland for it. The trouble is Scotland can't go it alone here, are they? They're a member of the UK and they need the, they need the agreement of the UK Parliament to hold another referendum. There has, there's already been one which was defeated. Uh, so, in a sense, it's not a great time for her party because, unfortunately, the UK government's refused to engage with her, hasn't it, over, over holding another referendum? 
It has. I, I mean, the Scottish National Party, which Nicola Sturgeon has led, has really got two problems. The, the first one, the one you mentioned, that the British government just don't want them to hold another referendum. Hmm. And the second problem, which is, is maybe just as big, maybe bigger, is that the opinion polls are just sort of stubbornly around 50-50. So even yep. if they were to hold a referendum, there's no guarantee they would win. And I, I think that, again, is a disappointment for... For, for Nicola Sturgeon, that somehow, despite the fact that many Scottish people are really angry about Brexit, despite the fact that many Scottish people don't like Boris Johnson much, they sure as hell didn't like Liz Truss, and they're not that fond of Rishi Sunak, the current Prime Minister, despite all of those kind of things that you would think would would, would help Scotland, the alienation from, from England, they still haven't been able to get there. Uh, I think a lot of Scots probably do nervously look around and think, yeah, but what are we going to live on if we don't have the UK? Uh, of course, well, it's, it's, go on. It's, no, I was going to say, it's, it's funny you should say that, Phil. Sorry to interrupt, but, but Brexit is a real double-edged sword uh, in, in the case of Scottish independence. What do I mean by that? So helping the case, you know, it's the fact that the, 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 the majority of Scottish people voted against Brexit and they're really not happy about it. But so that sort of helps the cause. It helps recruit people to the cause of Scottish independence. But the funny thing is, because leaving the European Union, certainly as far as most Scottish people are concerned and actually increasingly now most British people in general, because it's looked so such a disaster, it looks so difficult. I think a lot of Scottish people thought, hang on a minute, if it was difficult for Britain to leave the EU, how much more difficult is it going to be for Scotland to leave the UK, given that we're much closer? Yeah, indeed. Yes, all right. The, the There was also another issue which... Um which Nicola Sturgeon got herself tangled up in, and this was the Scottish Gender Bill. Now, this was apparently dear to her heart, uh, and but it look it it seemed like uh, it, it devolved into a, into a bit of a mess. What what was? Can you explain that for us and tell and 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 and, and why that might have been a factor in her resignation? Well, she she says it isn't, uh, but it, you know it's definitely been a difficult patch for her. I mean, I mean, I'll try to explain it to you, and that is that sort of Scotland. I guess if you put it this way, it wanted slightly more liberal laws on the idea of gender identification than the rest of the UK. So, essentially, in in um, it, it, as it is in all of the UK, you have to be eighteen and to, to kind of to declare what gender you want to be, and you need to have a sort of official certification as it were and what um nicola sturgeon had proposed is no no no. look you know you know you know at 16 whether you feel like you're a woman whether you feel like a man and you should be able to do that so that that's what it was about Mm. and uh it it just descended into the kind of you know a nightmarish argument everywhere yes that's right which uh that's right which which uh she, she unfortunately was on the receiving end of quite a bit of negativity about the whole thing too. Mind you, Scotland, just moving on away from that for a second and speaking and thinking about the UK generally, Scotland was always a major uh, stronghold for Labour, British Labour, in the, in the past, before the rise of the SNP, wasn't it? Is, is, is Labour thinking with the, with the departure of Nicola Sturgeon that maybe there might be some fresh pickings in, in Scotland? Well, you, you are obviously a keen student of, uh, of British politics, Phil, as well as of <laughs> Fantastic American music. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they, they're, they're definitely hoping that this is an opportunity. I mean, just to put some numbers on it, uh, that in, in the British Parliament, there are 650 MPs and 59 of them come from Scotland. And, uh, you know, at the last election, I think Labour had one. 
Yeah. They, I mean, and as you say, in the old days, Labour used to completely dominate Scotland. So, you know, I mean, if they could pick up some seats from the Scottish National Party, uh, that would make uh, a huge difference in their effort to, um, you know, to try and get the Conservatives out of power, something they've been trying to do uh, for some time now. Mm. Yep. Meanwhile, back in the UK, of course, so back in, uh, in 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 England, industrial relations is top of top of mind. There are strikes everywhere. People are walking to work, trains, buses, nurses and teachers, emergency workers, all striking or looking to strike. Uh, I mean, there are un- there's unhappiness here in this country about low wages and, and and inflation, but the situation's much worse in Britain, isn't it? It is very much so. And I'm sort of revealing my age a bit here, Phil, but I remember growing up in Oxford in the 1970s where we had a famous car factory here. And uh, it sort of does slightly take me back to those days of the the level of of industrial unrest. And in many ways, it's the same sort of cause, and that is people's standard of living sliding. But I I think the interesting thing here in in the UK, and and it goes really back to about 2007, eight, just before the financial crash, that basically living standards in the UK have been stagnating mm. ever since. So that's that's kind of a long time now. And now they're starting to actually go down. So not just stagnating, but going down. And I think a lot of people would say, if you think about it, I, I, that's probably a lot of that is behind the Brexit referendum in 2016, people angry why they voted to leave. And I think that also probably explains why there's a really sort of sour mood in the UK at the moment. The kind of polling suggests if you ask people, you know, do you think the country is sort of headed in the right direction? Uh, About two thirds of the people say no. And when you get that in a country, two thirds thinking, you know what, we're heading in the wrong direction. You got trouble. Yeah. Rob Watson is uh, our guest tonight, uh, BBC political reporter. Yeah, that's that's right. There seems to be a a feeling that Look, you know, frustration uh, led to the referendum result to get out of the out of the EU, but those frustrations have not been eased. People have not had any any Brexit dividend, as it were. Things seem to have got worse, and there does seem to be. Uh, I don't know. I'd love your view on this. There does seem to be some acknowledgement, isn't there, on both sides, uh, although not very fervently expressed that yes, Brexit was a disaster because on most measures that I've looked at. The standard of living, indeed, the economic performance of Britain is measurably worse as a result of Brexit. It is. I don't think that's any doubt anymore. The uh, the Bank of England, the uh, the government's official statisticians, which is the Office of National Statistics, various other studies have, have all showed that the Bank of England have all showed that the economic indicators are going the wrong way. Trade is down. Uh, Britain is the only G7 country not to have recovered the size of its economy to what it was before COVID. And I think most economists believe that's down to Brexit. So I don't think there's any doubt about the economic harm. It, interestingly, the effect that it seems to be having is that it, it, sort of, in terms of the wider public opinion polls suggesting that a majority of people really clearly do now think it was a mistake to leave the European Union. So that's the public. The interesting thing is you said some acknowledgement amongst the politicians. Well, the, the sort of true believers in, in Brexit, if I could call them that, uh, in the governing Conservative Party and some beyond, they say, you know, it's because Brexit hasn't been done properly. We haven't gone hard enough at it. We haven't, you know, we're still, we've been, we've been too soft. We, you know, what are we doing? We could have had all this freedom and these politicians are hopeless. Uh, interestingly, the uh, other Conservatives, 
tend to take the view that, look, you know, they, they will concede that things are, are proving difficult and that it was always going to be difficult. One minister said just the other day to the BBC, look, you know, if you, if you make it more difficult to trade with your most important market, you know, sure, there are going to be hiccups. But the sort of, uh, you know, the kind of the line that Rishi Sunak, for example, would continue to take is, is to carry on saying, look, there are still opportunities to Brexit. You know, we can do regulation in our own way. I mean, whether, you know, whether those politicians really believe that, I, I don't know. But certainly that's the line they take. But absolutely, there are the hard, hard liners out there, Phil, saying, come on. Hmm. You know, it's like pe- people liken them. People liken them to, um, I don't know, Trotskyites or communists. Say, <laughs> socialism, socialism doesn't work because he never tried it. You've properly. never tried the real socialism. That's right. Yeah. Neither, but never, never, never the real Brexit. Nevertheless, Labour, neither Labour nor anybody else is going into the next election with any other policy other than we're still out of the EU. Well, apart from the Scottish National Party, felt no, mm. absolutely, you're, mm. you're you're right. I mean, uh, I, I think that that at this point, you know, the the two main parties, Labour and Conservative, if you say Brexit to them, they just say, "Oh my goodness, that's the last <laughs> thing British 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 people want they, to talk about." They reach, they reach for their trench coats and rush for the door. That's right. But you know, but that but that but that may change, Phil. I mm. mean, my, my I mean, I tend to take that. I I, mean, I think that if. You know, if the economic conditions continue to be very, very, very difficult, that even if British politicians aren't keen to, to revisit it and think it may be divisive, I mean, if your economy is suffering a hit, uh, you know, 4% of GDP, which is what the, mm-hmm. um, the government's own forecast, you know, you might just think, hang on a minute, we might need to do something about this. Exactly, exactly right. All right, it's been terrific to talk, Rob. Good luck. Uh, if you try a different type of machuca on the on the on the end of your line, I think you'll probably have more <laughs> success. Or even a cock, even I'll a cock, even a cockabundu. You know, try that with a brown cockabundu. Yeah, with a brown feather. All right, mate. <laughs> See you, Rob. Rob Watson, BBC correspondent in the UK. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. 